Good app. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the We Got the Keys to Real Estate Carrot Properties podcast with the lovely realtors of Carrot Properties. I'm MJ Clay, and we are um, joining you tonight to discuss a very important topic getting pre qualified and the loan application process. Who else is on the line tonight? Hi, this is Shakika Miller McIntyre, broker with Carrot Properties. Hello, everybody. This is Sharif, broker with Carrot Properties as well. All right. Awesome, ladies. Um, and I think we got somebody else on the line. Patricia, are you with us? We're having some technical difficulties in the background, but she'll join in. Okay. Well, here we are talking about the loan application process and getting pre-qualified to purchase a home. Um, where do we start? Anybody want to take the lead? So I'll take the lead. <laughs> so we start. Was that a question? I mean, not really, not really, but uh, we'll, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll work with it. So I'll say, you know, we start with just where you are taking a, an assessment of your own situation. A lot of times people come to us and say, we want to buy a house and they don't know where to start. They haven't thought about a budget. They haven't thought about their real life needs. They haven't thought about expenses that may not show up on their credit report. And so my first advice is always, let's sit down and take a real life assessment of your financial life. Okay. For example, if you make you know, plenty of money, but you have triplets in daycare. The same, another borrower who, ha who makes the same amount of money, but doesn't have a triple daycare bill may be in a different situation. So a lot of times when you're applying for a loan or starting that process, lenders don't look at expenses that sh don't show up in your credit report. So my first advice is make a budget and keep in mind why you want to buy a home. Um, I had the pleasure of talking to one of my college classmates today who's looking to buy a home here in Charlotte, and she wants to make sure there's enough room for her mother. She wants her mother to have like her own level or guest suite or something like that. And so when you think about that, you have to think about, OK, from a budgeting standpoint, do I need her to have her own area where she can moderate her own temperature and the utilities going to be that kind of thing? So, um my first advice is to start with your budget and why you want to buy a home and keep it in mind, like all of the reasons why you want to do it and the things that you like to do in your life. So Shakika. I think that's perfect. Um, I think budgeting is always good, whether you're on a house or not. Um, but certainly going into a house, I think it's important to build your budget um, based on your home, adding in potentials for repairs, things that you're not accustomed to when you are a tenant. And certainly, like you said, considering the reason the reasons for purchasing your house, I think you gave a great um, scenario. Kind of like individuals that are deciding what type of house to buy um, as well, whether they're going to buy a ranch because they're looking at how old they are now, 
the project, the time they want to be in the home, and whether or not they want to go up and down stairs, um, or like you said, if they're having a family member that's coming to live with them, is it going to be you know accommodating? Or if they're a new couple and they're looking to expand, is this house a house that they can expand into, or would they already have to be looking at? You know, this is a smaller home. If we were to have, you know, two children or just get a dog, would we need more space? So I think looking at, again, the reasons for which you're buying and then basing that budget on that is extremely important. Anybody else want to jump in? Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing as far as the budgeting goes. For me, I feel as though... It's a great idea for people to actually take a look at their um, their current expenses right now. So for me, I like for my clients to actually write down everything. Like, you know, take about a month or whatever, however long it's going to be, a month, two months or whatever, and write down every single thing that they are putting money out there for, what they're spending on. And it could be something as simple as, this is what I eat out for lunch every day, or this is what I've been doing. I've been going to the vending machine, or I've been doing whatever every day, because a lot of times they don't realize that those things actually add up and can actually be affect, uh, be affecting their their overall amount that they want to spend. So I think the budgeting part is extremely important. Trish, you have anything you want to add? Who did you say? Patricia. Patricia. <laughs> okay, well, we'll jump to you next time. So now that we have our budget set, one of the things that may come about from your budget is as you look at your bank statements, you may see overdraft, even if it's just from your savings to your checking or a lot of like recurring um, drafts from your account or unusual deposits, like if you're an entrepreneur and you make you know, deposits not in a routine basis or the same amount, then one of the things, the next thing that we recommend you look at is getting your documents together. Bank statements and tax returns are the most important documents in that list of items that we'll, we will give you to check off. And so when you're reviewing your bank statements, what you want to look at is that if you're a standard W-2 employee, that you have your paycheck going to one or two accounts, but you're going to have to provide a bank statement for each bank where you have money deposited on a routine basis. You want to also be cognizant of if your bank statement is shared with like your parent. Um, some college students still have joint accounts with their parents. That might be something that you want to let the lender know ahead of time. Um, if you are, if you share bank statements with your spouse, they're probably going to want all of the bank statements between the two of you. Um, be prepared to provide six months of bank statements. Most lenders will only ask for three, but I say be prepared with six months of bank statements. Um, now ladies, I don't know how you all feel about this, but some lenders now will have clients sign a bank access form where basically you don't have to pull your bank statements, but you give the lender the right to go into the bank statement, go into your banking, online banking and pull it themselves. I'll be candid with you. The lawyer hat pops on and says, there's no way I'm giving you access to go into my bank account, even if it's just to look at my bank statements. How do you all feel about that? Well, that would be a no for me. <laughs> an absolute, uh, absolute no. I don't know. It just seems like 
up. I don't want to say invasion of privacy because you're giving them the right to do it, but I just think that just opens uh, a can of worms for me. I, I, I wouldn't do it. Sharice? Sharice? No. <laughs> she said no. <laughs> I mean, they say it ends like you, it, it's kind of just like you're giving permission for a specific period of time and it's supposed to end the day your loan closes. But I just don't trust stuff like that. Um, I'm not going to say I don't trust it. I'll say I think that it's just an easier way to do it just to pull yourself. Pull yourself. Make sure when you do yeah. pull the bank statements that you pull all of the pages. Some people will say, well, it was nothing on page five. It was blank. No, they want every single page, even if it's blank. And most lenders now have an easy process where you can just download your bank statements and then upload it to their website. So you don't have to print them and scan them and all of that. Just download them to your computer or even your phone and then upload them right to their website. I would like to um, actually add to your comment about what banks are looking for. Um, I just came into a scenario with a truck driver. I, I have not personally had a truck driver before um, for a client. I have had plenty of entrepreneurs. And it was very interesting to learn how, as a truck driver, this particular company pays their clients. So um, the, the, I guess the host company or whoever the, the true employer is actually pays the drivers or the owner operators through a card. And so there's this card that they load money on to every month. And the owner operator is then responsible for handling all of his expenses from the deposit made from this card. And so what's transpiring with this particular client is that they're getting money on this card and it's a bank card or it's a bank, um, but they're getting money on this card and then they pull money off of that card and put it into their personal um, bank account as like their regular income. So for instance, um, let's say the company puts $20,000 in a month on this card. Um, his expenses may be, let's say, $10,000. $10, and then he takes the other 10 and puts it into his personal account. And so when I was looking at that, all I could think about is this is just so crazy. Like, it's so hard to track this money. You know, what information can I provide to him to say, look, if you're going to be applying for a loan or anything of this nature, then you really need to have a, a true, a clear stream of income. And it's obvious. This is just not it. Um, and so he has a 1099, of course. And once he does his taxes, he can show his expenses. But when you were talking about bank statements, I was sitting there thinking about he actually has a bank statement, but it's so convoluted because of the expenses that are coming out. Um, and so when I'm talking to Especially to entrepreneurs, one of the things that I say to them is you need a very clear bank account, meaning, you know, if you're putting money in, that's great. But we need to see that money, you know, make one deposit. Don't go make a $40 deposit, $20 deposit, you know, those things. Unless it's something like Stripe or Square or some kind of automated payment system that, you know, you can track. You can just pull in and say, okay, where is this stream coming from? But if it's like cash, you really need to be doing it on some kind of consistent basis. And then be able to also maybe have one credit card for your expenses. So then all of your expenses are on this card and you can pay that card back. So, again, it's very clear. But I thought it was very interesting um, for that particular truck driver. And apparently that's a common practice with truck drivers. And I think it was unbeknownst to me. So um, I'm hopefully 
um, I'm hoping, excuse me, that this particular individual can kind of try to figure out how to best use um, his accounting in order to make things a lot more cleaner um, than what I, what I saw this week. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, and the other thing with truck drivers is a lot of them aren't set up to account for their expenses. So it, their expenses that they spend on certain things look when it's an entrepreneur or someone who's not a W-2, I always say, give, tell us everything up front so we can help direct you in the right, uh, point you in the right direction for the right lender so that we can avoid the headache of sending you to the wrong lender and you get, you know, tangled up in the wrong loan process. I would think that yeah, would be. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was saying, I would think that what would help as far as that goes too is, you know, if you have time, of course, them keeping their receipts of their expenses because, or, you know, a track of what their expenses are. Because, of course, with entrepreneurs and, of course, with the truck drivers, um, they are having to, like, expense out a lot of things. I'm thinking, like, if they can keep some receipts or keep a, a log of what they're expensing out, that hopefully would help as well. Does it? Um, not really. Um, <laughs> I, the, the re- and I've, I've had a couple truck drivers, and it usually does not end well because it looks like they make a lot of income, and sometimes they do, but some of the some of the ways that it's categorized is weird. So, you know, with like your gas expense, I didn't realize truck drivers pay for their own gas for their truck. So they're using that when they put the money on those cards, that's part of what, why they're doing it. So truck drivers can pay for their own gas, but you don't own the truck. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Okay. So anything else with bank statements that you, we want to make sure we share? No, I think we're pretty much covered. I think it sounds like it just needs to be some clear paper trails um, going on and keeping them and being able to access them because everybody doesn't have online banking or keep the ones that come in the mail. So really just keeping them, making sure they're clean and being able to um, submit information to the lender as requested without them going into your bank account. This kind of goes without being said, but make sure your name is on the bank statement. So I have had clients say, oh, I want to submit my daughter's bank statements because that's where I put all my money so that my whomever won't see it. Um, So we're going to take a quick break at this time. We're going to come back and talk some more about the loan application process. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, nope, um, ooh, okay, and we're back, so we're back to talk about this, and um, we were, before we took our break, we were talking about um, bank statements. And we've covered pretty much what you need to be prepared for six months worth of bank statements. Make sure you have all of the pages, make sure the bank statements have your name on them and then comb through the bank statements and make sure you don't have a lot of 
um, overdrafts, even if it's from your savings account, and make sure you don't have a lot of recurring payments because those type of things are things that underwriters, who are the people who ultimately approve your loan, are going to look at. Okay, ladies, so what's next? I'm going to say. Hi, Sofa. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I will say one more thing to be cautious of. Um, you know how sometimes we have those clients that may have a lump sum from, you know, a relative that may want to help them out, so to speak, with their purchase. And so being careful about the type of program that you are going to be financing through and whether or not they will allow a lump sum amount being put into your account. Great, great point. Mm -hmm. So uh, sometimes people will say, oh, well, my parents want to give a gift. They want to help us with the down payment. I, I agree totally. You have to let the lender know up front because depending upon at what point you receive that money, you might have to exp have the, the person who gives you the money provide some documentation that they actually um, pull the money from their bank accounts. Shakiki, you want to add anything on that? Yeah. Um, sourcing is extremely important. Um, I just had a, a client last, I think it was in September, September, or October, who literally had to drive two hours away to another city because his mom actually gave him the funds for closing and had to drive to his mom's bank because she took the cash out and then for whatever reason wound up getting the money from another, uh, I mean, the money orders somewhere else. I don't know why that happened. Not quite sure. She just thought that's what she needed to do. No, I know what it was. It was Western Union. So she was sending it directly to him and he had to go literally show that she took the money out within, you know, hour, hours of having the Western Union transaction um, take place. So it's very important that if someone is going to give you money, that they also understand that it has to be sourced. And sometimes that could mean that they got to show bank statements. And I've had a, actually a father back in November that was very leery about having to show his bank statements to prove that he was giving his daughter um, money for down payment. So I would certainly make sure you have that con conversation um, so that people know you can't just pull money out of the mattress, you know, and just hand someone money for closing. It has to be sourced funds. And a part of that sourcing could be actually disclosing your own bank statement or their bank statement in order to ensure uh, where that money came from. And I think sometimes that can be a challenge, especially with older, you know, older people, um, I found. I think, too, um, this is going to kind of lead into the next topic when it comes to prequalification. But uh, some people get bonuses through their employment. And when there's two parts of this, they may say, oh, um, you know, I make fifty thousand dollars a year, but five of that may be in a bonus. Well, no, you don't make 50. You make forty five thousand dollars a year plus a five thousand dollar bonus. So you have to make sure you qualify that with the lender and tell them your your base salary and then what portion is bonuses, even sometimes with overtime. But as it relates to bonuses, too, when those are going into your bank account, you have to be prepared to, to you know, just explain that to the lender. And usually it's just a simple two sentence. I received a bonus from my employer on such and such date so that it makes sense that you got this higher payment on this day. Um, same kind of goes for like 
tax refunds, um, insurance settlements, things like that. Um, and so when you receive these lump sum payments from your employer or if you sell a car or something like that, just be prepared to explain that. Um, and that kind of leads into our next topic about explaining your income. Even if you're a salaried or W-2 employee, um, a lot of people work overtime. Have you all had those issues kind of come up? Definitely. Definitely. Um, so you, I'm just going to say, so you definitely have those things that it's not something that can be counted on as, um, like, you know, income that you're getting over, you know, the whole year or something like that. It is something that definitely helps. But at the same time, if your regular amount that you're getting paid, you know, 3000 or $4,000 a month, but you worked like buku overtime because it was pretty much the end of the year or it was during the time that they needed, you know, someone to work the overtime and you're getting all of that money in, then, yeah, you know, it's going to look like it's inflated, but they still need to go by to what you're working for that year. Okay, exactly. Anything, any other categories you all can think of that are kind of like unique? I can't really um, think of anything. As far as payment? You know, as far as lump sums or unique payments that you may receive. Um, I mean, of course, entrepreneurs, that's a whole different podcast. We'll do a whole different podcast for people who are 1099 or. I would say, uh, I think. Um, I know traveling nurses have issues sometimes because of their stipend. Yeah. That um, sometimes because really that's where many of them make money is in the stipend um, for, for housing. And that has been a challenge. Um, I've had a couple of traveling nurses, not necessarily a challenge, but just a little hurdle um, that had to, we had to get over. We had to actually change lenders on both of those deals. We had to change lenders because of the stipend. Um, so I think that could be, um, something to consider if you are traveling there, you certainly can still purchase, but making sure that your lender understands how you get paid up front, because not every, um, lender may accept that stipend as income. And so it may take you out of the range you would like to be if you're only doing your base salary. So I, I have a unique situation that's come up a couple of times. Um, people who have commuting jobs. So it falls into two categories. Either they have a like a home base, but they go work other places. They're not necessarily a traveling like person, but maybe like I have a client who she bought a house in Concord, but she works in Raleigh. Um, I have another client who their husband and wife, the wife lives in Charlotte. The husband during the week lives in Virginia and works in Virginia. And so they didn't think they could buy a home until he moved here. And I said, no, that's not the case because you're seen as a singular unit. So we just have to make sure we explain that for the lender. Now, the, another unique situation that kind of was like that, but it didn't work out quite the same is I had a young man who works in the Middle East, but he goes and works over there for like nine months at a time. Well, of course, they won't count him as a owner occupant. They want to count him only as a investor because he's not here for the majority of the time. The other two folks, they go back and forth. They come home on the weekend. 
you know, it's, it's really just short term, but, um, the gentleman that works in the Middle East, he, if he had been married or had a, a, a person who would be living in the home, like he was related to them, he would have been able to get the financing he needed as a owner occupant, but he was a single man. And they were like, you don't have anyone here to occupy the home that, that you're related to. So they were going to consider that a second home, but that's a very unique situation, but it's happening more and more. People are having commuting positions. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, that's actually interesting that you said that because um, I had a transaction with a client from Maryland who wanted to purchase here in Charlotte. He was a firefighter, so he could come. You know, he worked, I think, three, three 12-hour shifts, and he did want to be here. Um, and instead of doing it as an investment property, they actually he actually owned another property. Um but they were going to have him do it as a secondary home, a second home here in North Carolina, not because he owned another property in Maryland, but because of the fact that um, the distance, which I had never heard of before, you know, it had to be within so many ranges, but I mean, so many miles, but this particular lender, their program required that if it was so many miles apart that it had to be done as a second home. Okay. I was also thinking of, um, Teachers, too. You know, Wait a minute, MJ. Teachers. I'm sorry, Sharice. I got it. Yeah. I got to get MJ. MJ, are you? What are you doing? Sitting here talking to you all. <laughs> okay, just making sure. I mean, I did have a glass of wine. Don't listen. Listen, I am having a glass of wine while we're talking because I just felt like it would help my spirit be freer. <laughs> Yeah, Lil Moscato ain't never hurt nobody. <laughs> and look, unless you're listening to us in the car, we encourage you to have a glass of wine too. <laughs> Can you hear my glass? <laughs> I have to keep my clinkage down. <laughs> Great information. So that's all I wanted. Yeah, that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> she did. She got me. Yeah, this is real life, though. Real life all the way. Um, you forgot what you were gonna say, didn't you, Sharice? <laughs> I was going to say something about the teachers. You know, teachers who work, um, there are some teachers, because my sister is one of them. She, you know, gets paid only, what, the nine months out of the year? Yeah, yep. How's it go? They get paid like nine months out of the year or something like that. And, um, so look at the other way around. She works the whole she works the whole twelve months, but she gets paid up front for nine months, something like that. So that was kind of um different, but I think that with that, it can kind of um I mean of course there are programs out there for teachers and things like that, but it it makes it seem as though they're they're not working or not getting paid during the months that they actually are working. Yeah. Lenders have to know, like when part of what goes on a loan application kind of goes along with what you're saying, Sharice, is what type of what line of work you're in. Um, And so 
lenders have kind of like a guidebook to say, okay, if this person does this type of work, this is how we treat this loan. Um, the last category I'm going to throw in just cause I've, I've dealt with this one more than I'd like to admit, but, um, contractors who work on contracts make like the IT industry is going, you know, really, um, big to contractors and people contracting. And so part of what I've heard from lenders is, Hey, we just need to have you explain your line of work. We look at the overall circumstances. So if you have been renting an apartment as a teacher or as a contractor, we look at were you able to pay your rent during these months where you were in between contracts or these months that where your school was out and you weren't necessarily being paid your normal teacher salary. And so um, I think everything comes down to having the right lender. Um, and I'll be candid with you. It starts with your realtor. Um, and ladies, I hope you would agree with me that it doesn't make sense to go to the lender first and then find a realtor. It makes sense to find your realtor first. Tell them a little bit about your situation. Your, your, you don't have to tell them how much money you make or anything like that. But if you have some unique circumstances, run it by your lender because we work with a variety of vendors and we can say, oh, we want to send you to this lender versus that lender, or you qualify for this program. So um, there's always ways for us to help you get the best situation for your circumstances. I definitely agree with that. Um, it makes it a little bit harder when we have someone who comes to us after they've already spoken to a lender, um, and then they're telling us, well, my lender said that I could do this, this, or whatever, but we are listening to the conversation or we are listening to their, their situation or their circumstances and we know that there could be a better program out there that's for them. Because like we've always said, different lenders may be qualified for different programs or may know about different programs. So you have lender A who doesn't know about program Z and that's who they're trying to work with and it's not a great fit for them. Definitely had that happen before. Shakika, you want to add something? Well, I was just going to say, as far as uh, with the realtor, our goal is that we have worked with so many individuals, both buyers and lenders, that we're able to navigate our clients um, to the right fit. And I'll actually go back to the case that I had over the summer um, where my client was adamant with dealing with or working with her bank, which just happened to be one of the bigger banks um, in the country and she was just adamant about working with them um, and I was very concerned because she was actually a traveling nurse. I was very concerned about that and it came back they could not um, do her loan because of the fact that she was using her stipend as income and the way it's reported on taxes etc. Um, however because of an experience that I had in April I had a lender that had worked with an individual that was a traveling nurse and so I really wanted her to use that particular individual up front, but she, you know, she was adamant on using the individual. And so I think by coming to a realtor first, having our experience truly helps because it cuts down on the frustration that they may have or someone saying, you know what, oh, this doesn't work. I'm, I'm just not going to continue on with this process. Having a realtor there to support you and say, you know what, it didn't work with this lender, but, you know, this is a better fit lender or starting with that better fit um, is certainly important. Can I say this? And, you know, I'm just going to admit it. When pe when folks come, folks come to me after they have already been to another a, a lender of their choosing. 
I almost tell them, that's great. I'm glad they kind of did the groundwork, but let's get you with my lender. And that has a couple of, I have a couple of reasons for that. I know the history of the lender that I'm working with or that I recommend. I know that they can bend and flex and do what we need them to do to make it happen. We've also built a relationship. There's probably, I think we collectively as a firm, we have at least two lenders that we all kind of call and talk to. And they know that we are going to fight hard for our clients and get what we need for our clients. And we know that they're going to do the same because they're equally passionate about making the deal work. We've all been in this industry over, all of us, I think, have been in real estate over 15 years. And we have seen bad lenders. Like, literally, there's a lender to this day. If I see him in the street, we probably going to go toe-to-toe. <laughs> like, it was, it's, not, it's not pretty. Um, I've, had, I've had loan officers just go silent on me. Like, literally, go, ghost on a deal. I've had loan officers over-promise and under-deliver. And then here, we, here I am scrambling to pick up the ball. I even had a deal earlier this year where... The lender, I was representing the seller. It wasn't even my client, but I wanted the deal to work for my seller's sake. So I helped the buyer's agent get the right, ask the right questions, go back to the lender, hold their feet to the fire. Thank God we were able to get it closed. But if you don't have lenders who are masters at what they do, you can't be a master. We can't be masters at what we do and help you get your best deal. Um, So. Amen to that. Yeah. yeah. I just hope I don't see old boy in the street because, I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know what? I have, <laughs> have the same thing happen to me with this guy. And this is like um, almost, it's been a, a few years back. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's even still in the business. But you're right. Because we've gone through those things, you know, like you said, we've all had at least 15 years in the business. We've spoken to, to different people and we still have people that actually come out and, you know, solicit to us because they also know what we do and how we, you know, cater to our clients and make sure our clients are, are good. So we know this stuff. So it's definitely better to go to your realtor first and find out exactly what it is your realtor can do for you. So we so talked about, for. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. So we talked about bank statements, unique payments, um, gifts, bonuses. Let's talk about tax returns. Everybody went silent. (laughs) I wish y'all could see the the flat line that happened. Um, I think one of my challenges, and this is normally fun if you're a regular W-2 employee, um, but one of my challenges is more so individuals that are self-employed. Um, and that is truly because we take full, and of course we're self-employed, we're 1099 employees, contractors, et cetera, or consider contractors, et cetera, independent contractors. Um, but it's really, you know, it is some advantages, of course, to being self-employed because we can take some expenses and, and do all that. The issue is that sometimes we take too many expenses. Um, 
and your income is cut, you know, all the way, all the way down because of the expenses. And so when you get ready to qualify, yes, you make the money. You can show the cash flow on your bank statements. Um, but the challenge is you're telling the world, IRS, when I say world, um, that you don't make any money. So you go from, you know, having made a hundred thousand dollars to now you're only at 20 because you've expensed 80, you know, $80,000 of it out. And in some cases, maybe that's 100%, you know, the case and it is what it is. However, when you're getting ready to purchase a house, you have to understand that you're going to have to show some type of income. And a lot of times that means you can't expense every dollar out. Um, you have to show income. You have to be prepared for that. And that's a hard conversation um, oftentimes with my clients that are, you know, 1099s. Um, and the other thing is you got to file them. <laughs> I mean, you got to file taxes. People, you have to file taxes um, and you can't wait till you decide to buy a house to go back, you know, four or five years and, and then decide to file. You have to file your taxes. Um, and so that's what I would say to individuals. Make sure that you're filing, you're filing on a regular basis. Even if you're asking for an extension, you're still filing every year on time. And that if you are self-employed, that you are showing some income. So can I bring up, I'm going to bring up two things. Um, yes. Personally, yes, I am probably, I probably shouldn't admit this. I'm kind of always late filing my taxes. And when my husband and I got ready to buy a house, I was like, oh shoot, we got to file some taxes. And I did. I filed two years at one time and it got us caught up to where we needed to be. Um, and it was fine. So, you know, I didn't file it in the middle of the loan process. I did it right before we really found what we were looking for. So don't be ashamed. Like if you haven't filed taxes, file them, you know, Pay the piper, do whatever you have to do. If you end up having a bill and you have a payment plan, they're just going to count that in your debt to income ratio. It's not like you have to pay it necessarily all in full. It just depends on each circumstance. Um, the other thing I'll say is with, with your taxes is that you want to make sure that you're really accurate on your taxes. There's two forms that you sign at during the loan process and at closing. Many years ago, I had a client who filed one set of tax returns for the IRS and had another set of tax returns for applying for things. Those days are long gone because now when you file, when you file your taxes with the IRS, they create what we call a tax transcript. And what it does is it literally records when you record it and when you uh, filed your taxes and what you filed on your taxes. And because we are in the information age and everything's electronic, what it does is it makes an electronic snapshot. So you can't later go back and say and have this alternate form of taxes. So you sign that at closing, you sign it during the loan process. And if your loan is ever audited, they can go back and look at what you submitted to them and what you filed on your taxes. And they do that during the loan process to verify that they match up. So just be very cognizant of you can't file your taxes and then go back and amend them after the fact and have two, basically two separate tax forms on file because the lender will catch it. And that will be a huge red flag. And we only know this is because people at some point did this on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So, so since we're sharing it, we're just kind of giving you a heads up. It, it does happen. Um, so, 
you're thinking to yourself, oh, no one does. Yeah, someone just yes, it does. Yeah, yes, it does. <laughs> Here's the other thing: if you have people or things that you're claiming and carrying under your taxes, and they're not your children or they're not your actual deductions of some sort, understand a loan process. The loan officer may ask those questions. Um, you know, so um, I had a situation where a client wanted to claim her son was her husband. For income purposes, and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work like that <laughs> because they can see on your taxes you claim him as your child. Wait, so, <laughs> wait, 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 back up. She went out with her son as husband for income purposes. Yeah. Oh my god. And I was like, yeah, no, they're gonna see his name and realize he's not Junior. It's yeah, it's pretty clear. And the thing is, you don't want. We're trying to help prevent you from getting in a situation where you have to dig your way out of a hole because once the underwriter sees it, you can't pull it back from them. Um, and so that's the other great reason to have a great loan officer because they're going to kind of filter through it as well and make sure there's nothing problematic. But I can see that being a problem. Yeah. Well, when do you do things like that? And from what I understand, isn't that Against the law. Well, yeah. Right? Well, yeah. And so, <laughs> so we want to thank you all for joining us tonight. We have ended on a don't break the law note. Um, we hope that you will join. Um, we've got the keys to real estate, care properties um, podcast. As we talk more and inform you, our our hope is that these podcasts will inform you and educate you to make you the most well-prepared buyer or seller around. And of course, if you need a broker or realtor to assist you with your real estate needs, the brokers of care properties are here to help you. Broker in charge, you want to say anything? I was just going to say, you can reach us at www.caredproperties.com. We'll be waiting. All right. Thank you. Bye.